Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 326. Sick, but not with the Rona. My name is Caleb Hag. Coming to you clean from a makeshift office. <laughs> yep. I'm Rob Van <laughs> Look at Rob's background, everybody. I have shelves with no books on them right now. Shelves with no books. But you know what? At least you have shelves. Before you My had books nothing. are in boxes. My yes. books are in boxes. And I love the uh I love the the backdrop now with the wood. You look very you look like you could be a youth pastor. Really? Hmm. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> uh, all right. How rude. Oh man. I think I have that actually today. I, I know I have that. I just don't know. Oh, is it this one? Oh, I can't hear it. I can't hear it. Oh, well, I can't hear it. Let's see. Oh, why can't I hear it? I could hear it. I could you? That. Okay. Okay, you can hear it. Anyway, what's going on, Rob? I'm going to try to know, fix that while looks, you talk. My head looks really big. I, I have to admit, I'm, I wanted to be on the YouTube channel just to see what the background would look like. Yeah. But people say I have a big head, so, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Let's see here. I'm wondering why I'm not here. Oh, 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 oh. I think I know why. But the problem is, is that if I add in the, uh, oh, I'm going to have to fix this sooner or later. If I add in my uh, my soundboard, then I think we get it doubled up, unfortunately. Let me see if I can. Let's let's try this real quick. Let's just see if I can do this. Um, so, okay, here's what we're going to do, everybody. Um, I need, okay, Michael Gonzalez in the chat room says that he heard it just fine. Tell me this. I'm going to play it one more time, and uh, tell me if it now doubles up and you get, uh, like, the, the doubling up static. Oops, wrong one. Hang on, here we go. How rude! Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain. Stupid and incredibly self-centered. All right, so now I got to wait for the uh, for the chat room to tell me if that was good or not. And if it was, then great, I fixed the problem. Um, and otherwise, oh well. Uh, shalom from South Florida. Hey, shalom to you too. Okay. Um, am I? Have I just been repeating our our producers? I think I have. Okay. Well, let's take that off. Apologies uh, to everyone. Uh, we're just kind of all over the place. We took a week off and now look at us. Now look at us. We're just, it's like we're back to amateur hour. That's okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we've, I don't know that we ever left. <laughs> we never left. <laughs> we never left amateur hour. Touche, sir. Okay. Well, hey, let's just jump right in. Uh, be part of the conversation. 253-465-3205. That's our comment line. You're not going to talk to us. You're just going to, uh, you're just going to get an answering machine. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. That's going to be changing. We think that's going to be changing. In fact, one of our uh, listeners has uh, recently uh, told us that they're going to give us messiahmatters.com, and we're super excited about that. And along with that, I think is going to come uh, Caleb at messiahmatters.com and Rob at messiahmatters.com for our email addresses. Well, that'll be fun. It'll it'll be much more in line with uh, the show. However, wow, cool! That thank you. Yeah. yeah, let's not forget though that uh, Messiah Matters is produced by TorahResource.com. I want you to go there. I want you to find all sorts of free stuff. 
There is all sorts of free stuff on uh, TorahResource.com, and uh, including this show. You can listen to past archives and all sorts of stuff. And uh, when we get MessiahMatters.com, we're going to link to a bunch of free stuff on Torah Resource because Torah Resource is the producer of this show, and we thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah, and of course, don't forget to subscribe and click the like button. Okay, with all of that out of the way, what do you say, Rob? Should we jump right into it or what? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm thinking so. We got a lot to uh, talk about today. Should we go to audio clip or should we uh, go to written? Let's go written. audio. Audio? Oh. Yeah, let's start with some audio. Okay, Rob. We got to test our audio system here. Rob says start with audio. Let's do it. Um, this is from, I'm going to guess, I get a, I'll give you one guess who it's from. Does it, is, it, is it MM? It, it's MM on the yeah. Messiah Matter show. This is our, our third co host now, uh, Matt from Michigan, who calls us often. And uh, he he called, he left uh, one voice message that was seven minutes long, and then he called and he left another voice message that was four minutes long. I only listened to and edited the seven-minute-long one. Now, I do have to tell you that uh, this comment was probably two minutes long, the part that I clipped. And I have edited out a lot of the (laughs) middle of it to bring it down to uh, the basic question. Um, and I did that just for time's sake. So, Matt, if you're listening, I apologize that I took out a significant portion of your question. However, I think that I still uh, maintain the essence of the question. Let's listen to it. On how we are justified by faith the same way that Abraham was. What does Abraham's faith entail? We see John the Baptist and Yeshua, and they're both preaching the gospel. Obviously, the death, burial, and resurrection has not taken place. Anybody prior to that or prior to the death, burial, and resurrection, would have been still preaching, God redeems, God saves, turn, repent. My line of thought is, if, if man has that same faith that Abram had, Abram had, is belief in the act of the death, burial, and resurrection necessary for genuine faith in God? Or is it then an extra ingredient that has been added since Yeshua came? This is a great question. We've actually talked about this in one of our, I don't know if it was on Messiah Matters or if it was a past season under the title, The Robin Caleb Show, but we have actually talked about this before. And my view on this has actually kind of shifted back and forth a little, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you, this is such a good question for Matt, by the way. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, we always, I always enjoy your, uh, your, your voicemails and I always enjoy listening to them. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for just the engagement. It's a good brotherly engagement. Absolutely. I I love it. This is why I've, I've kind of wrestled with this, um, back and forth on this question. First of all, obviously Yeshua says no man comes to the father, but through me. Now, is that only after the death, burial and resurrection? He says it beforehand. He says it before the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, right? And so it seems to apply beforehand. On the same note, are we? it doesn't seem like Peter, for instance, doesn't seem to get it. He doesn't seem to get that Yeshua is there for a specific reason, and that reason is to deal with sin, right? He, he says, he, Peter seems to think it's only about going up to Jerusalem. I'm trying to raise my audio here a little bit. Um, 
basically what Peter sees is he said he's we're going to Jerusalem because Yeshua is going to conquer like this nationalistic idea that the Messiah has come solely to overthrow the Roman government. It seems to be in Peter's mind. And so the it's not until after he dies and and raises from the grave that the, the apostles seem to now understand, oh, wait, there was more to this story. And so does that mean that beforehand they were not they didn't understand the gospel message? This is how I've flipped back and forth. Now, I do have a pretty solid understanding for myself on this at this point. Rob, do you want to jump in and, and give us yours before I take all the time? Sure, sure. Thanks again <clears throat> for the question, Matt. Um, it's it's Because it's a core, core topic. I, I want to just say a footnote, though, first on Caleb's point, which is really good concerning Peter. Peter has to, I use the word recalibrate. You know how you have to calibrate if you've ever done... Uh, right any kind of work on an engine or any kind of machine that requires uh, pr- precise spacing, things like that. Or, or if you're a musician and you have to tune a guitar or Caleb plays cello, when you tune it, there's a calibration, a recalibration that has to happen. And there's a lot of factors, right? I see Peter that way. Peter at first is like, never, right? That's his first, <laughs> yeah. right? And then it's, and then it goes from never to I'll die with you. Right. And then it goes to, I don't know who that guy is, right? And then it goes to the next oh, no. morning where he jumps uh, right out of the boat. Right. After the resurrection, right? And then so you see this, and then he gets the vision of the of the sheet, you know, Acts 10. And it's like, oh, I'm, you know, and there's like Peter gets this recalibration over and over again as as his understanding is refined by the Lord. His faith is never in question. His trust in Yeshua is never in question. What what gets calibrated over time is his understanding and his wisdom concerning the nature of God's righteousness. And so, and that's a good picture for all of us because we are all transformed in our walk with Yeshua. Yeshua doesn't change, we change. And it's by Yeshua's grace, he holds, he he has loving kindness and, and patience for us as we change and grow and receive the necessary correction that we need and uh, to be more fruitful. So, yeah, I've uh, often, I've often said that uh, Peter is my spirit animal (laughs) jokingly, but you know what I mean? Like I really connect. Spirit rock. Yeah. I, I really connect with Peter. And the reason why is because I think all of us, especially those of us who maybe grew up in a religious home or grew up, you know, in a Christian home or whatever you want to say, but didn't really own it didn't really understand it, right? You you grow up as a child and you and you know you believe what your parents tell you, but then maybe it's it's not really it's not really yours. It's not yours. You gotta own it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at some point in life, and this happened to me, and it happened to Rob as well. I know he's told me. You know, at some point in life, all of a sudden God reaches out and grabs you. And all of that past, like, yeah, I had an understanding about it, but didn't really own it. And now all of a sudden it's like this recalibration and all of a sudden it's like, man, this is mine now. Like I, you know, now it all makes sense kind of a thing. Right. The reason one more bit, and then I'll put to the main question from Matt. The reason I like the term recalibration or calibration is because you're not throwing everything away. Right. It says, because God has prepared you with certain things, but what you're doing is you're sharpening your differentiation between the word of God on the one hand and the traditions of men on the other. And, and I can't do that for you, Caleb. You can't do that for me. 
that's where each of us stand before Yeshua and grow as the plants that he has planted us to be. Right. Even though we are indeed here to encourage one another in our in our in the ecclesia broadly. Okay, now back to the the meat of the question from Matt. The way I heard it was if what does it mean that Abraham was justified the same way that we are when there's there seems to be a knowledge gap where we have more information about our justification than maybe Abraham did. And so what I'm hearing in the question from Matt is what does that tell us if that's true? If there was information that we have on this side of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension um, about Yeshua and about the nature of the revelation of God's righteousness that wasn't in history, it wasn't part of the Tanakh's historical record, right? In, in the time of, you know, Abel all the way up to John the Baptist, for example. And so what I'm hearing in the question is, well, what's the difference then in the knowledge and what does knowledge have to do with our justification? I want to, yeah, I agree with you, but I want to take this a step farther and I want to maybe add on to, maybe this isn't exactly what uh, Matt was bringing into the conversation, but I want to add on to it. Let's take it to a place that some of the people in the Torah movement have taken it before. And we see this particularly, well, we see it in all facets of the, you know, various, not broadly, but you have people who say, okay, um, you know, people before Christ died and, and rose from the dead, what did they believe? They, they believed that there was a coming Messiah and that he would, he would uh, save Israel. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean from their sins. It just means that, that he would redeem Israel or, or save Israel. So if the Jews today, they believe in a Messiah, just like the people beforehand, they might not know it's Yeshua, just like the people beforehand, but they believe that the Messiah will come and redeem Israel. So that must be the same saving faith that the people had before Christ. That's kind of what I, that's how I envision this question actually going. But do you see that also as today, there's people, let's say in the Orthodox Jewish world, that'll say, look, you Christians believe that the Messiah already came. We believe he hasn't come yet. Can we just kind of agree to disagree? And, and... But that's where people in the, in the, in the Torah movement have gone. We, we see people oh, okay, the, that's what you were saying. That's what yeah. I'm saying, is that people in, the Torah, in, in some facets of the Torah movement will try to say, oh, well, the Chabad are actually saved because they might not believe in Yeshua. They might curse the name of Yeshua, but at the same time, they believe the exact same thing that a Jew before Christ came believed, and that was saving faith, faith for the people before Christ, right, right. and it's saving <clears throat> grace for the, for the Chabad now. So that's, I mean, that's kind of where I'm taking the question, whether or not that's what Matt actually asked or not, I'm not sure. So my, my short answer is this, is back to Hebrews 11, where we have kind of this lineage of all these men and women from the old, quote, Old Testament times from Abel, lived by faith. And we have to understand that, what does it mean by faith? Well, it, it tells us clearly in Hebrews that it has to do, A, that it's non-negotiable before God, that there's, it's impossible to please the creator of the universe without whatever this faith is, even right. if we don't, let's say we don't know what it is, whatever it is, it's impossible to please him without it. And my understanding, particularly the, the weight that is put on the Galatia, uh, the Genesis 15 passage where it says, and Abram trusted in Adonai is reckoned to him as tzedakah, righteousness, is the core discernment that righteousness comes from God. Righteousness is defined by God. 
and he is the source of righteousness. And what, why, it seems so simple, but what is it that comes, that is good news. And why is that good news? Why is this the gospel? Because in the dark and sinful world, man, just like at the Tower of Babel and, and beyond, up to the building of different religions and things like that, is the idea of man makes himself righteous in a comparative way. I'm better than those people. We are. We create some sort of group, and then we say we as a group are better than those people over there. And then we sprinkle things that are really true, the revealed word of God, what we cut and paste from that and sprinkle it on our little groups and say, see, we are, we are the, uh, we represent righteousness and all those other people uh, are outside of it. The problem with that is that it, it does not solve the sin problem. And, and we see this in the first century. We see these different Jewish groups all thought that they were righteous. Right. None of them were convicted by the gospel, the true message of John the Baptist, the preaching of John the Baptist, or, or then the subsequent preaching of Yeshua. Why? Yeshua says, it's, it, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but men hate the light because their deeds are evil. Those who love the truth come to the light because they, because they understand that God is the source of life. So it, while Abraham, now someone quoted in the chat box, and that's exactly right. Yeshua says, Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What I understand that to mean is Abraham had some sort of glimpse. A, first and foremost, that right that that righteousness would be provided by God. Yeah. That humans are yes. sinful. Yes. Humans cannot make themselves righteous. And so by that's what we so these terms kind of come to, to come to us together as a cluster. Faith and righteousness can't be understood really in, in separation from each other. But there is a core conviction of the heart that has to happen by the Holy Spirit, without which it could be that, oh, this sect of Judaism is saying the same thing as this sect of Judaism, and there's no discernment. There's no way to differentiate which one is true. They both say, oh, oh, you love God. Okay. <clears throat> Well, you know, the, the Mormons who come to my door say they love God, and then right. the Baptists and the Jehovah, we all love God. Okay, so let's just hold hands. What's There's got to be a difference maker, and that difference maker is the fact of justification by faith. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm fully on board with you, and I completely agree with you. I've, I, I hone this just a little bit more, and I think you and I are going to say the exact same thing, just maybe in different mm. terms or different words. Because basically what I say is that Abraham, David, and those who believed before the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, saving faith, in other words, and, and ultimately even in church history, uh, we see a very distinct shift from, um, you know, like the Nicene Creed and other creeds um, in the very beginning, it's, you know, we believe in, but then it's I believe in and... Basically, you turn from like you, the creeds turn into a uh, theological belief is what saves you. So I don't think that it was necessarily thought of like that. However, 
I think that ultimately what Abraham, David, all those people Moses had was an understanding of God dealing with the sin problem, dealing with the seed. In other words, faith that there was the seed that was going to come from Abraham that was going to deal with uh, with the, the sin and not that we ourselves can deal with that sin. Now, if we fast forward to the apostles, now we come back to the problem that I've kind of stumbled over. And pe- people are going to absolutely hate this. I can hear the emails being typed out already, and that's totally fine. But ultimately, this is only a problem if we believe in free will. And the reason why is because if we believe in free will, then the apostles, they can flip-flop. In other words, they can be saved, they cannot be saved, they can be saved again, they cannot be saved. If you can lose your salvation, then Peter uh, seems to not believe or understand the the fullness of the gospel message that uh, God was going to deal with sin. He only sees the redemption of Israel as a national uh, thing from the Messiah. In other words, the Messiah is going to come and deal with. And so in in my mind, that would be, yeah, not not seeing the full picture. And if you believe in a free will model, that would mean that Peter at this point is not saved. However, if you believe in a in a model that God has already chosen Peter, then all that's happening is Peter has faith in the Messiah that's coming and his knowledge is being expanded. And this is one reason that that we should never be haughty towards the Jews who don't believe and we shouldn't be haughty towards anyone who doesn't exactly. believe. Because exactly. at some point, God might reveal more of that story to them and boom, all of a sudden, this full picture comes into view. Just like we were talking about earlier about there's this moment where if you're raised in a Christian home or you're raised in a religious home, you have this knowledge, but it doesn't become real until a specific point. Does that mean that God didn't love me beforehand? Well, if you believe in a free will model, then yeah, God didn't love you beforehand. If you believe in a in a, uh, in a predestination model or a doctrines of grace model, then God has chosen the elect. Anyway, okay. Well, yeah, on that note, it's because the purpose of creation is not the life we're in right now. Right. Yeah. In Romans 8, it says all, all creation longs and awaits the revelation of the sons of God. Yeshua says in uh, Luke 24, he says, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer so he could enter into his glory? In other words, Yeshua's glory as, as the resurrected son of God was always going to be manifest. Right. And, and the, uh, that he would be the firstborn of many brother, brothers, brethren, <laughs> brethren, <laughs> was, always, was always part of the plan. So yes, uh, Abraham, by, when we say Abram lived by faith and was justified by faith, it means he knew, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was dealing with the impure things of this world, but he desired and longed for the, the house that God would build, right? That's what it says in Hebrews 11. And he followed the Lord patiently enduring all the contradicting things in this world. That's why it says, of whom the world was not worthy, all these these in faith. Why does it say they died in faith of whom the world was not worthy? Is because the world they lived in was full of sin and contradiction, and they, they were part of that world, but they did not put their hope in that world. They did not 
try to solve their own problem in, in some sort of comparative religion, righteousness. Oh, I'm just going to join this super strict Essene sect that just reads the Bible all day and, and has cut themselves off and fast twice in a week or whatever and right. fasts on Shabbat. And then, and then I'll, then I'll have holiness. I'll obtain some sort of holiness in this life. That's not what the men of faith did or women of faith did by faith. We know that our, holiness and purity comes from the Holy Spirit. Right. And it's, it's not a work. It's not something we do. It's, it is something rather we, we long for and, and we seek first and foremost in our life. I don't think that disciples of Yeshua from the year, you know, 70 to today seek the kingdom of God in a greater, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in a greater degree than Abel, Enoch, Noah, right, Abram, etc. Right. We're not we don't have any kind of spiritual edge. The only thing that we do have something because where we are in history, we're in a different plot on the timeline. And so yeah, we're post Shavuot, post Pentecost. The the fullness of the gospel going to the nations of the world, we're in a different place on the timeline. Because God didn't do this all at once. It's a tree that's growing over time, branching out, bearing more and more fruit. This and is, so we're we're definitely not in the same time place on the timeline as as Avram. Yeah, this is going to play directly into our next comment. Um, and so this is a perfect segue. Before we go into that, I have to I have to applaud the uh, cleverness here. I I don't know if this is tongue in cheek or if it's uh, or if this is supposed to be serious, but. Someone in the chat room put their their name on their YouTube account is Sola Scriptural Torah, <laughs> which of course I disagree with, but it is very clever nonetheless. Okay, um, so let's go to the next comment. We actually have two comments that we could go to at this point. We have one on dispensationalism. We also have one on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that's ultimately what we're going to get to as the main topic. Main topic. I don't know if you get. I mean, that's what I put down as the show title. So let's go first to dispensationalism. So in regards to dispensationalism, someone posted on, so we have a video, I clipped a small piece of one of our shows into a, I don't know, five minute, six minute clip on dispensationalism. And basically it's why we disagree with dispensationalism. And somebody wrote in and said, uh, and this was their only comment. This is the only thing that they said. And then I responded, they responded one more time. That, uh, so they said, so is Matthew 10, 5, was the Lord mistaken? So in Matthew 10, 5, was the Lord mistaken? We'll read that verse in just a second. I wrote back and said, absolutely not. I don't know really what you're talking about. And they wrote back and said, I take, you know, I take the Bible at face value or something to like, I, I believe he meant what he said, I think is, is exactly what this person said. So what does Matthew 10, 5 say? And so since we're talking about these, the difference between before Yeshua died and rose again, or rose and, and ascended, and afterwards. So this kind of plays into the idea of dispensationalism. And th this is what Matthew 10, 5 says. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So he's talking about taking the, the gospel message out, right? And so the question is, I think what this person is getting at or is attempting to say is, this is the time of the Jews. And so in within dispensational theology, this is the time of the Jews. And therefore, Yeshua tells them not to go to the Gentiles because it's not the time of the Gentiles. It's the time of the Jews. 
and therefore the the disciples. So what before we move on and talk about Matthew ten five, one thing that I would say is if you have put on the the dispensational goggles, then this is exactly what happens. You can't see anything outside of the dispensational goggles, which is really unfortunate. Because that's not at all what this scripture is teaching. In fact, I think it was yesterday that uh, Rob brought up Paul after, after uh, uh, Yeshua dies and, and rises. He says to he it, it says in Acts that uh, it, that the gospel is supposed to go first to Judea and then Samaria. And then to the Gentiles, so to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And Paul right, says this in right, Romans. When Paul, in Romans, right to the Jew first. So this is way after. Well, Yeshua says that before Pentecost, right? A week, right when he ascends, right? He gives them this kind of map of the world and the, these marching orders. So, so yeah, we we got to be careful. We uh, use the context to uh, uh, frame that properly. Right, exactly. The idea that this is saying that, the, I mean, ultimately, this is before Acts 2. And in Acts because 2, what, my understanding of, of dis, traditional dispensationalism is that God is God stops the clock on Israel and kind of puts it on the shelf. And then the, the clock starts ticking on the nations of the world. And then at some point, he's going to stop that clock. That dispensation will be over, and then it goes back to the other clock. Is that kind of how you understand that? Yeah. So basically, I mean, and ultimately, we can we can deal with this very easily. In in Acts two, the Holy Spirit comes upon the the, the uh, apostles, in order that they are enabled to go out to the nations and give the the gospel to the nations. It doesn't mean I, I, I'm I'm confused. Do you think that the that uh, that there were not Gentiles? Who could come to Christ? Who could come to true saving belief before, before Jesus died and, and rose again? It could only be Israelites. That's a horrible error, and not what the Torah teaches. The Torah says the same law shall be for the for the ger who is among you, for the sojourner who is among you. So this right here proves that that people who were not Jewish by blood, who were not part of Israel, uh, were could be accepted. Right, and it wasn't until after Yeshua's ascension, Yeshua's, well, John the Baptist, and then Yeshua's teaching, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, was the necessary prep work, and then finally for the the giving of the ruach in that special way on Pentecost, the necessary framework where the tree now is ready for a mass grafting. Right. But before that, yes, grafting still happened. I mean, that's what the genealogy of Matthew, uh, beginning of Matthew's gospel, shows with Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, right? The idea is these, um, the very genealogy of Yeshua reflects this kind of, and anticipates what will come even more and more and more in the future, is these wild branches, if you will, being grafted into the to the olive tree. Okay, so I have to respond to this in the chat room. Sola Scriptor Oral Torah says, Matthew 23, 1, uh, what should I do? It is so, so clear, brother. Well, um, if you think that that is commanding Oral Torah, then it's obviously not that clear. And the reason why is because that is not what that passage is trying to uphold. 
Uh, in fact, Yeshua speaks against the idea of the traditions of the fathers uh, several times within the apostolic scriptures. Matthew 23, 1 and following is specifically talking about something else. And I would encourage you to either go watch one of the two shows that we've done on that passage or to go read my father's article, free on Torah resource, by the way, in the article section on um, what this, what the seat of Moses is and what this actually means. It has nothing to do with the idea that you should now keep the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Tosefta, any of this. Uh, This is a, uh, this is anachronistic at best. I mean, at best. It's uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty egregious uh, interpret hermeneutics to try to say that you're going to stuff the uh, later rabbinic literature into Matthew twenty three one. It's that's really, I I, honestly I'm I mean no offense but I think that that is really lazy hermeneutics. Um, okay, let's move on. So we we need a we need a Caleb goes off (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, okay. Well, can I just, uh, let me just say something. It, it says Yeshua doesn't just say the Pharisees. He says the scribes and the Pharisees. Right. Those are not, don't conflate scribes and Pharisees. Right. Those are two different, uh, uh, Pharisees and the scribes don't necessarily agree on everything. Yeah, exactly. And we know that later, but just look at the way the scribal tradition is modified in in the later rabbinic material, it, we're supposed to be attentive to both. Yeshua says, attend to what the scribes teach, which has to do with the written word of God, and attend to what the Pharisees teach. But yeah. you're not one of them. Right. You're not one of them. And and we, we know the basics of what that is. It's the canon of the Tanakh, for example. Exactly. It's... Uh, it's uh, the you know what the counting of the omer for example you know there's there's things that uh that we have that that are if we would have been if yeshua said listen to the sadducees it would be a completely different world if yeshua would have said listen to the essenes it'd be a completely different world and of course those weren't options because those were highly strain sectarian movements I, I love this. Uh, he says, actually, Paul quotes from the oral Torah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Paul quotes from something that wasn't created until no, no, the, the, years the, later. The Janus and Jambres uh, Sola Scriptoral Torah, uh, <laughs> that that literature, There, even pagans are talking about this Janus and Jambres. Right. The, the, when the rabbis talk about it, they're drawing on Greek-Jewish literature from the Second Temple period about those magicians. And here's the other thing. One of the stories in, in the rabbinic material about Janus and Jambres is that they sprouted wings and flew around over the Nile River. Okay, it's just a highly imaginative lore, folklore. By the way, you guys can be taking Rob's rabbinic literature class right now at Torah Resource Institute. My boy is wicked smart. Uh, yeah, don't, don't try to go there with Rob. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I just do want to say that the Crisco kid, we're going to get to your comment probably next week. Uh, what a great comment that was. We have a lot of people who have commented and sent in things. And, uh, so, uh, we, we, we've written them all down. Don't worry. We're going to get to them at some point. This is, this was actually, uh, 
this comment was actually made by Matt from Michigan, as well as other people. And I took I it from- I forgot so in the weeds. Are we are we still on Matt's no, 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 we're not. We, we didn't even listen to the whole clip, did we? That was the whole, I mean, I, I brought oh, it up, okay. I brought it down, but yeah. Um, okay. So uh, somebody else wrote it in a very concise way. They said, time out. To clarify, I wasn't reading your references, so I might well have missed something. You stated that being filled with the Ruach, okay, the Holy Spirit, meant you were or have been saved. So on at least two occasions, King Shaul, uh, he's King Saul, was so filled as to have been prophesying, is he saved? No, he's not. And ultimately, uh, you have, and I stated this, you have two different, there's multiple meanings of uh, within scripture of many different words, uh, most words, and this is definitely one of them. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I've written on this uh, in my Acts work. Um, one of the meanings is that the Holy Spirit comes upon people to accomplish a specific uh, task. So, for instance, the building of the tabernacle would be one of them. Uh, there are many others, okay? Uh, Acts 2 is a perfect example of this. Were the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, were they filled with the Holy Spirit and th thus saved? No, those people were already saved. Why were they filled with the Holy Spirit? They were filled with the Holy Spirit not to be saved, but to take the gospel to the nations. They were empowered to do that. So filling of the Holy Spirit in some cases can mean to be empowered, empowered to do something. That's what that can mean. But there are other times when filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul says that if you, uh, you, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not saved. Okay, so what is the Spirit of Christ? The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. So... With all of that said, let's go back now. And actually, okay, let's let's look at uh, Saul, okay, King Saul. First uh, Samuel 15, 17 through 19 says, And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Okay, so this is important because we actually see the anointing of the Holy Spirit as empowering someone to guide the people of Israel. This is one of the actions of being filled with the Holy Holy Spirit, and this is going to be important for our discussion of David as well, which I'm sure Rob, Rob has taught on this in a lecture series, and he will be able to wax boldly on this, but let me keep going. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So basically, God gives the Holy Spirit to, uh, to Saul for a specific purpose. That is to rule the people of Israel and ultimately to go and blot out the Amalekites. Okay, now let's move on to 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 15. And he sent and brought him in. And by the way, this is David, okay? So David now is going to come. God's going to give the kingship from Saul over to David. Now he was rud ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. From that day forward, okay, so this is important too. So now the Spirit of the Lord has come upon David in order to guide him to uh, be able to rule the people of Israel. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Why did that happen? Because the Spirit of the Lord now was put onto David to accomplish this task. 
And this is, I think, what David is talking about, and Rob might disagree with me, but I think that this is what David is talking about in Psalm 5111, when he says, cast me not away from your presence. Remember that he's now slept with Bathsheba, and uh, and and the prophet has come and basically just slaughtered him on this, right? And he says, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I think that what he means is take not the kingdom from me. In other words, you have given me the ability and the power to rule through the Holy Spirit, Please don't take that from me. Okay, with all of that said, I'm going to I'm going to tie this up and then I'm going to let Rob come in on this. When I say that the Holy Spirit was given as salvation, what I'm saying is, do you really believe let's say that the Holy Spirit was given to Isaac to carry for a purpose, to carry the covenant. Do you think that that entailed salvation or not? And when the spirit was given to John the Baptist in the womb, what was that spirit given to him for? My point is, is that did they have a choice to say no to God? Did they have a choice to say, I reject God. I am not going to be saved. I, I'm going to go worship some other God instead, but I'll still carry the covenant or I'll still hail in the, the, uh, the coming of the Messiah. My argument here is not that is not that the Lord doesn't use the Holy Spirit to come on upon people to accomplish works, to accomplish things. And maybe those people aren't saved. My point here is that clearly Isaac and John the Baptist were saved from the beginning. There was no option for them not to be saved. They were chosen. Predestination. That's the point. They were predestined for it. And so if God can choose those people, my point is, is that God can and does choose others. That's my point. Okay, I've said a whole lot. Rob, you want to come in on it? Um, I think back to the Psalm 51. Yeah. I think there's, a, a, I would include also, I would just add that take not your Holy Spirit from me is the, the context of the Psalm, like you pointed out, is his sin. He has sinned against God. And he's not saying he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. What he's realizing is that, though, is that he's sinned against the Holy Spirit, that he sinned against his own conscience. His, he sinned against what he knew was right. And he's in a position of, of the Lord's confronting him with that, with the harsh reality of his situation, of of sin versus what is holiness, what is righteousness. And so that the cry, create, create in me a clean heart, take not your Holy Spirit from me, is the cry of, back to what we were talking about, justification by faith, the, the coming back and seeing how precious a gift the Holy Spirit is for believers. And, and it's, it's a part of his larger confession of his sin before the Lord. So he's coming to the Lord in spirit and in truth, which is how the father, like Yeshua says, he seeks those to, to worship him that way. Um, back to people, you know, God using people like, you know, we can talk about Balaam, right. Or King Saul as examples where just because God's using them as in a, in a kind of prophet, in a prophecy doesn't mean that uh, they are saved. That's a, it's a different, uh, that doesn't mean they're uh, part of the elect of God. 
right? Yeah, so, so I mean, I'm once again, I'm not saying that every time we see the Spirit of God come upon someone, that that person is automatically saved. That's not what I'm saying. However, my example of Isaac and of John the Baptist is that these people are clearly saved. And if you want to disagree with that, if you want to say, no, 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 that's not what's going on, okay, that's fine. Then the question has to be, do you think that Isaac and John the Baptist could have rejected the calling or maybe accepted the calling of why the Holy Spirit had come upon them and and rejected God? In other words, said, I don't believe. I'm, I'm rejecting God. And if the, if the answer is, yeah, they could have done that, I mean, okay, I, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't, that's not the way that the scriptures seem to, to speak about these men. The scriptures seem to say that these people are sanctified from the beginning unto God. And I don't mean in terms of works. I mean, they are set apart for the work of God because they are in the service to God because they are the elect. They are elect. That's how the scriptures seem to, to speak about it. That's how I read it. That's my point. All right. Should we move on? Should we try to do a sure. quick one? I noticed someone's talking about astrology Oh, in the chat room. Like you need to know your, your you need to know the tribe, your tribe of Israel determined through your own astronomy, earth stars. Who is saying that? Joshua Benjamin. Yeah, that's, uh, you're confused. <laughs> he, he taught you how to resurrect from your own death. He taught Understand. how to see through mind sight. So you're not blind after Understatement uh, of the day. <laughs> yeah. Joshua Benjamin. Uh, yeah. That's a, some strange, strange teachings there. I, I would uh, gently tell you to get back to the scriptures and stop listening to whoever you're listening to. I, I, you know, I, I wish that we could actually give a survey to the people in our chat room. I love the people in our chat room. We get, we have people from all different sides of the spectrum, right? We have people who agree with us, people who just can't stand us, but for some reason continue to listen to us. We have people, you know, who think that we are so off on theology and people that think we're right on in theology. It'd be really interesting if we could give a survey to the people that come into the chat room on whether or not they are part of a congregation or not. That would be really interesting to me. Um, because I I wonder how much of the people, you know, I, I wonder how much of theology, and this goes for people in congregations and people out of congregations, but I wonder how much of theology is taken from the internet instead of taken from, uh, you know, discussing with, with people in a congregation and or your pastors and elders. And then also what kind of congregation the people are attending. That would be interesting to me. I yeah, I've been in this sphere for a little while. Okay, um, should we do sushi? Let's do sushi. Um, What's sushi? JP asked, "Can we eat raw fish?" I have a friend oh. that says we are not allowed to eat uncooked food as it has to have the blood drained and should not be eaten raw. Is this biblical? I mean, I. I've never understood sushi to be unkosher. In fact, I think that. Well, if, if I, it does it right, if it's just salmon or, you know, salmon and. I mean, I think they can put like octopus or something in sushi. Well, sure. But that, I mean, there's, I, I, if I remember but correctly. But that's not what you're talking about. I just saw a, a kosher sushi restaurant. So, and that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't mean anything. Because ultimately the, the, the Orthodox Jews can be wrong about this kind of stuff. 
but it just shows that uh, the the rabbinical tradition says that uh, raw fish is not uh, is not unkosher. I don't see why that would be, and the reason why is because I mean I went recently and not recently I went about six or seven years ago and caught myself a nice big salmon out of a river, and the very first thing I did was smack it on the head with this club, and then what? Then what do you do? You dress it right there. You take the head off of it, all right? You cut open the guts and you drain out the blood. So I mean that's uh, that that's what you do with with fish. You still drain out the blood. It does, and it doesn't seem as though the the meat retains any blood. Yeah, fish are an interesting uh, creature. The other thing is, is that in terms of draining out blood, like the idea of draining out, like you can't eat the blood. The idea that you can't have a rare steak, this is this is not what's going on. It's the idea of ingesting blood. So, I mean, certainly you can't strangle an animal because then blood actually does retain in the meat. But the pink stuff that you see in a steak is not, that's not like blood. Anyway, okay, that was easy. Anything else on that? No? All right. No. I like I like smoked salmon. Oh yeah, I'm Which not. A, I'll tell you what I like slow. tuna. I like tuna better than salmon. But keep going. No, that's it. What's your favorite fish? Um, the problem is, is that we got stuff that we can talk about, but a lot of it's going to take a long time. Um, Joshua Benjamin again. There are 613 commandments of the law in Judaism, given to expose sin, uh, and save no one. There are not just ten. I, I think that Joshua, Josh, I don't know what books you're reading. You're, you're hang in there, man. Hang in there. Stick with it. <laughs> Stick with it. I think that uh, Joshua Benjamin has not uh, maybe heard our show before. Stick with it. I would say abandon the astronomy, yeah. the astrology or whatever yeah. you had. Yeah. And, uh, and stop so, listening I, to the rabbis. I'm actually doing a study with my son right now on whether or not there are actually 613 commandments. And, and Rob and I were talking before we came on that uh, Rambam and uh, who? Rosh? Ramban. Ramban yeah. actually disagree on the 613 commandments. So I completely agree with you, that there, uh, Joshua, that there's not just 10 commandments. There's no doubt about that. And we have always espoused that and always taught that. Um, the idea that there's 613 is an arbitrary number. And so I, while I understand what you mean, that there are more commandments... Uh, then the Ten Commandments completely agree with you. Um, the idea that there are 613, are you saying that because you actually believe there are 613 commandments? Or are you saying that because... Um, the rabbis told you that there are. Or just because it's a round number that people know what you're saying when you say there's 613 commandments. I mean, I, I completely... Yeah, and somebody says, isn't it rabbinical that 613? Yeah, exactly. And the number fluctuates quite a bit. In fact, actually, Rambam says... In the beginning, he says, uh, of, of his commentary on this, he says, okay, so the, the second command is that you shall love the Lord your God as it is said, said right? As, for as it is said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and soul. And then he says, this is not actually included in the 613 commandments. Right. So is it a command right. or so isn't what, it? What, what Joshua Benjamin fails to understand here, he's just, he's basically bought into rabbinic propaganda. 
Right, exactly. You can't, you can't list the 613. What you need to understand, what you've missed, is Joshua, is that there are 613 is an ideal number. Google it. It's an idealized number, the Taryag. <laughs> and, and what happens is, is that you have different rabbis disputing what constitutes the list. For example, one rabbi will have a list of 613, and another will say, no, the 10 you listed there, this one, this one, this one, this one, aren't really commandments. And instead, these 10, that, that, that are the ones. So what you need to appreciate here is that 613 is an idealized number and that the rabbis then have accepted that number because they don't because they want to stay in the rabbinic fold but then they argue about what which ones actually comprise the list but they don't on, agree it, on the list but but Joshua's response is is priceless this is literally his his response you can google it that was the response yeah he, he's Joshua, just googling i could tell you know if i ah! look at your uh, Joshua I'm glad you're here. I hope you stick around and learn. But if I just skim and look at what you posted today, it looks like you get Google is in fact your teacher. Exactly. And, and this is super dangerous. That, that's a, that speaks to uh, biblical literacy in America more broadly. And what happens in the messianic movement, sadly, people yeah. who've rejected authority and want to start inventing their own religion. And they do it by going to Google. Yeah, exactly. This is a I would say learn Hebrew, learn Aramaic. If you really want to engage the scriptures and if you really want to engage in rabbinic literature, do it on the terms of rabbinic literature, which means learn the original languages and read the text in the original languages rather than having it mediated to you through Google and translate. Right. Uh, Tacitus 1979 says, how do it all caps, by the way, you don't need to yell, brother. Uh, he says, uh, how do we distinguish between the Holy Spirit's voice? It, should we do a, Maybe what we should do sometime is do a show where all we do is respond to the chat room. <laughs> right? I mean, crazy. just questions in the chat room. Okay, so uh, he says, how do we distinguish between the Holy Spirit's voice and is it audible and not confused with our conscience? Isn't it uh, uh, Peters, Justin Peters, who says... If you want to hear the voice of God speaking to you, read your Bible. And if you want to hear it audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear the Holy Spirit, read your Bible, brother. Um, that would be the uh, that would be the the way to hear the Holy Spirit. And um, our it, conscience, our conscience has to do with our memory and our listening to the Spirit in in tandem, where we evoke and think with our knowledge that we already have or things that we've already remembered. That's, that's our conscience. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a memory. And when we read the scriptures, we are reading the record by those inspired by the Holy Spirit um, of God's truth. And so all these things are, you know, talk about, uh, or re reflect on what is a human being that in God's creation, he made it, he gave us language. He gave us the ability to, to have thoughts, to put thoughts into words, to write out thoughts, to hear other people's thoughts through listening. And he, it's, he made us to be that way as humans. And then he revealed his word to us in scripture. And, and so our interaction uh, with God in our walk with God is, one aspect of that is the 
the written word of God and the living relationship, our relationship with the living God by the Holy Spirit. And our conscience is is a little bit of our memory, is stuff we've stored up in our heart. Yeah, but you, you know don't, what? You don't you don't store the spirit in your heart. We don't store the Holy Spirit in our heart. We store God's word in our heart. But we don't store the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the I mean the idea the I think this ultimately goes to the idea of feeling. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's the Holy Spirit. Just because you have a dream does not mean that it's the Holy Spirit either. Stay away from Chabad. I don't know, Sarah B. Don't tell people to go to Chabad here. Yeah. yeah. It's heresy. Yeah. You're 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 putting up a, a address to a heresy. I would delete that if I knew how to do it. Oh, let's delete it. Yeah. Boom. That's heresy. There you go. Yeah, this the astrology stuff, the star, the sign of the stars. Oh, there's weird stuff today. Yeah, man. we got we got some uh, weird weird comments in the uh, in the chat room today, but that's okay. All right, guys, it's been a it's been a day. We'll be it's back next week, 2021. Maybe it'll be better than 2020. What do we say? Hopefully, let's ask Rabbi Google, <laughs> oh, and whoever and and the first couple uh, search results from Chabad because they have a lot of money. Will tell us exactly what we need to know about Judaism. Oh man, talk about me going off! I, so I that can, when we can just be informed about I, Jude, of Judaism, I can feel the the hoff going off right now. All right, we're gonna we're gonna end it there so that we don't have a, a bubbling over. And you can tell, you know what I can tell? Rob is doing better at being in the chat room, but being engaged in the conversation, but at the same time is getting heated over the chat room. All right. Uh, well, guys, we will see you next week. Don't forget to uh, send us an email, uh, call our comment line. Don't forget to subscribe and to like this video. And uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and the Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. 